Blog Talk Radio. week on the blog talk radio and affiliate networks this episode is brought to you by health innovation media monitoring the innovation impulse from idea to business model and emerging best practices welcome everyone i'm greg masters the producer co-host of the show and joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague fred goldstein principal co-host and co-founder of pop health week hey fred hey greg how you doing today Doing well. And where might we find you on this uh, hot summer day? I'm back in Jacksonville and it is hot. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. I won't tell you about San Diego. Anyway, for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a co-sponsor of this broadcast. His experience spans hospital and health system administration, general management uh, of an HMO, the founder of a disease management company, and currently serves as the president of a population health management company. Fred is a board member of the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA, a go-to industry gathering for thought leaders in the emerging space. And yours truly, a seasoned a senior health exec, having provided leadership and consulting support for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, IPAs, PHOs, etc. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com and spend most of my time captaining healthinnovationmedia.com, principally known on Twitter as Two Health Guru. Today we chat with our, uh, we continue our series on ACOs and population health with Jerry Meckless the Managing Director for Clinical and Health Management Services at Accenture NA. Jerry has nearly 20 years of experience consulting to health systems centered around optimizing physician enterprise, physician hospital affiliations, and the transition to value-based care. His clients include academic medical centers, community hospitals, and large integrated delivery networks. He brings, hand, he brings hands-on experience in all aspects of physician enterprise operations, having led consulting teams and held interim leadership roles. Most recently, he has focused on provider adoption of performance-based value-based reimbursement. He is a frequent speaker and author on physician hospital affiliation approaches and the transition to value-based care. This is a timely chat with Jerry, as the race is clearly on in the transformation from production-driven incentives to enterprise operations, embracing a value and patient-centered approach. And Accenture's seat in this house is both broad and deep. So for context on today's uh, interview, check out, quote, Jerry Meckless, Managing Director, Accenture, end quote, on pophealthweek.com. So with that intro, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know this seasoned advisor and get his thoughts on ACOs, pop health, and the bridge to value-based care. Thank you so much, Greg, and uh, very excited to have you this week on the show, Jerry. Welcome. Thanks very much, Fred. Pleasure to be here. 
Fantastic. Why don't we start out by giving uh, our audience a little background on Accenture and some of your work with ACOs? Uh, yeah. Um, so we uh, at Accenture, we um, have multiple uh, different businesses that we've broken up into strategy, consulting, digital technology, and operations. And as we think about value-based care and the transition that our clients are achieving, uh, and going through, we have uh, we use every one of the strengths and talents of our various business segments. And my job really is is quarterbacking the the kinds of deep talent and capability that exists in every one of those dimensions. So, for instance, our clients that are still struggling with identifying what their appropriate strategy should be or a roadmap, if you will, to achieving value-based care, well, we'll deploy our strategy um, staff and we'll work with them to uh, put the right framework around that. And but their deep strategy talents are are extremely um, useful in being uh, being able to answer questions along those lines. Similarly, as we're thinking about um, uh, our, the technology that supports um, accountable care and value-based care, which is a major issue and a major concern for most of our clients, we have a very, very deep technology group that has thought quite a bit about healthcare interoperability, healthcare analytics, and we bring those, techno those experts to bear on those circumstances. And then uh, at the uh, end of our operation, if you will, but by no means the smallest piece, for um, many, many health care uh, health plans in the market, uh, including virtually all the large players, we actually have a significant business that we, where we provide back office support of some of the key operations that are relevant to value-based care, such as, for instance, care management. Um, so we have uh, uh, extensive operations to actually provide that level of support. So from an end-to-end -end perspective, we believe that we have a full package that, that our clients can deploy and, and pick from depending on where they are in their maturity cycles and the kinds of work that they need uh, across the continuum of, of preparedness for value-based care. So within the, uh, these emerging models of ACOs, is most of Accenture's work with, some, with the larger health systems versus maybe these smaller provider groups or other types as we got into last month with some of our early work on POP Health and primary care practices? Um, yes, Accenture um, generally works with some of the largest health systems in the country. We have uh, deep roots with uh, with with uh, with those health systems, having worked with them for many years on various projects. And so our our uh, our client group is some of the more marquee and larger uh, clients that uh, health systems that we would see around the country, such as Ascension Health. Trinity Health and, and many others along those lines. Um, so uh, we are working closely with all of those organizations and many others to uh, to identify uh, you know where they need help in making this transition, and then as I mentioned earlier, deploying the best of Accenture wherever that may be to the particular issues that uh, our clients are, are, are need help with. Yeah, I know one of your large clients that you feature up on the website is Henry Ford Health System. Can you talk some about the work you've done with them and what areas you've focused on as they've moved into these value-based care models? Sure, sure. Actually, we started uh, work with Henry Ford Health System over six years ago on their transition to value-based care. At at the time that we started that uh, those conversations, um, uh, we there was no ACOs were not popularized. Uh, there we had um, uh, the Henry Ford system had um, uh, the core nucleus of its delivery system 
from a physician perspective is the 1200 physician medical group called the Henry Ford Medical Group, which is, which is uh, over 100 years old, a great deal of tradition. And so Henry Ford was looking for uh, an opportunity to engage with its community physicians in much the same way that they have with their uh, employed doctors. And the reason for that primarily is because Henry Ford had ventured into surrounding communities. And, the, and at one point, Henry Ford only had its flagship hospital in downtown Detroit, but now it's a multi-hospital system. And, and those other hospitals were established in, in other um, suburban regions of the Detroit area. Um, some of which were one of which was a brand new hospital that was being built in Oakland County, and the other hospitals were acquisitions by the Henry Ford Health System, and and most of the physicians providing uh, admissions and, and care to those uh, those patients in those in that region uh, were on the medical staff of those hospitals, but they were community-based physicians. So um, Henry Ford felt that it needed a uh, a way to create a model that would enable an integ integration with community physicians and uh, as well as uh, along quality lines be able to integrate with uh, the medical group as well so that, in fact, there would be a cohesive medical, um, uh, you know, grouping uh, or of, of physicians that would uh, enable um, quality uh, in, uh, programs to be launched and and risk to be taken going forward. So back then we looked around at the various models that existed six to, this is more like seven years ago now, and uh, really came upon the model that Advocate Healthcare and Memorial Herman in Houston had, had put forth around clinical integration. And that model became the framework for what we did with the Henry Ford Health System. We essentially built their clinically integrated physician organization, which is the Henry Ford uh, Physician Network, uh, which to this it remains, of course, to this day, it's a very important part of the delivery structure of uh, the Henry Ford Health System. It has about, uh, last time I checked, about 30,000 lives in various products that uh, and growing substantially with new uh, risk arrangements. So uh, the uh, that 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 became the nucleus of the activity. We built all uh, in full collaboration, of course, with with Henry Ford and all the physicians who were involved. And there were literally at um, at various points of time over 70 to 80 physicians that were engaged in this process because we really wanted to um, ensure that this was a physician-led process that engaged with community physicians early on so that they knew exactly what, what uh, the system was thinking of and had the opportunity to shape this new uh, organization. And so we had a wide swath of physicians engaged and we built um, every aspect of that organization, including all the underlying technology, analytics, et cetera. There's been a, a lot of talk about, you know, provider-based and driven uh, ACOs versus health system-driven or hospital-driven ACOs and some of the early results and the variation in those results. You've obviously been involved in building a very large health system one with provider participation, as you talked about, and, and, and a lot of it. What are some of the criteria you would look at for providers to participate in these kinds of models? I know you've got some slides we've seen that discuss that in specific. Um, yeah, well, for providers to participate um, in these models, there has to be uh, a few things that I think really make a big difference for 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 providers. One is is that um, th there uh, there has to be a confluence of mission. 
Um, and so that uh, providers who are thinking of participating understand why and have and 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 have a, a an innate appreciation for why the uh, health system is progressing towards a certain goal related to population health and so that that becomes a major stimulus if in fact missions are aligned uh, we you know we see a collective that's that's being that is formed and that collective um, if it has as it should have quality and patient care and patient centeredness as really its core belief that collective can go very far and we believe very strongly that having you know having done this in numerous uh, organizations that that collective has to share a, a a full sense of purpose both across the health system and through the providers that participate but beyond so, that the i'm sorry go ahead fred no no continue please yes so beyond that uh there's uh there is also uh, the tangible need to demonstrate the the WIFM, as we call it the what's in it for me because there will be providers that um, certainly that in any community that have done very well under fee-for-service and find fee-for-value, if not threatening, at least uh, um, at least uh, uh, something that is that is potentially uh, upending the um, the relationship with with fee uh, that they've had with fee-for-service. So um, we as we as we think about rolling out these types of programs. Not only do we need to have the mission confluence, but we also need to understand how and help organizations and their physicians understand why this is an important transition and what's and how that transition will be handled going forward. So whether that's through funds flow mechanisms that are clearly developed, that clearly uh, identify how uh, funds, uh, if earned, right, uh, successfully would be shared. Um, or perhaps there's uh, there's also um, the potential to um, to maintain a, a significant uh, and grow a network and maintain new business and uh, as a result of that be attractive to payers and thereby be attract obviously have new uh, clientele coming to physicians offices. All of that becomes part of the WIFM and it, and it is important to demonstrate the WIFM early on. Yeah, and in terms of this WIFM, I, I would think you know one of the issues you touched upon was flow of funds, and particularly when you think about specialists and fee-for-service medicine and utilization issues. Take that even a step further and look at hospitals. You know, are they are are they more of a silent silent partner in a sense, or are they driving it? And how how do they respond to this need to actually reduce services in a sense to in order to achieve the savings? Um, so there's multiple questions in that. I would say that uh, first and foremost, the, the hospital systems typically capitalize these organizations. So they do have a significant role, obviously, in playing it. But having, having done that, um, it is important for most hospitals embarking on this journey to recognize that the physicians must play a very significant leadership role, if not the, the key leadership role. So it is important to empower physicians with true leadership positions, not just lip service, but real roles that they have to play in moving this organization forward so that they're earning their WIFM, they're earning their funds flow, um, rather than having um, you know, equity in, in, a, in a business, they're earning their sweat equity uh, and, and therefore earning their, their funds flow. So um, while, whereas the hospital is capitalizing it, the, ph the physicians generally have to lead this. It's, it's typically a major uh, important step forward. Now, in terms of, in terms of the, um, 
uh, the the sort of cannibalization that hospital systems may see as a result, and certainly should see to some degree, uh, as a result of this transition. We should see re utilization reductions per capita when we look at things like high cost radiology and uh, and and to a certain degree pharmaceuticals, although we we tend to see those be um, uh, when used wisely, actually part of the armamentarium of keeping patients out of the hospital and out of the ED. So we should see re reductions in utilization on a per capita basis. But if we if this is structured well, we bring greater market share to bear on all the participants. So in effect, we have a, a, a per capita utilization reduction, but we have more capitas. And if we can, you know, if we can gain better market share, then that's the trade-off, and typically that equation works pretty well. Right. So in the, in this case, early on, let's say you, you're looking at market share growth as the means to offset the reductions. At some point, I guess you want to get these systems to go potentially to full risk, where they just share in the savings that they've created on a global basis by reducing utilization. Absolutely. Well, I mean that's. That's that's the goal of this transition. It's a stepwise transition in most cases. Depends. It really, frankly, to some degree, depends on what the payers in any given region are prepared to do. And providers are, you know, typically respondents to uh, to payer dynamics. And um, so, to the extent that we have payers in the region that are uh, offering up more risk-based contracts, I think we'll see providers moving even more quickly towards that end of the continuum. But um, and with that, of course, they have to build the capabilities to be able to do that. If, in fact, they come from um, a true fee-for-service world, um, there's a lot of build to be done. And, and so it's, it's a multi-year journey. Yeah, you, you just uh, touched on this idea of building these new models or systems to be able to do value-based care. And uh, one of the things I think we'll try to get put up is one of your slides on new care models for value-based care, which really um, resonated with me coming out of the Medicaid space. Can you talk through that? Because I think your care model goes beyond what many of the providers are looking at when they set up these systems. Um, sure. So as we think about new care models, uh, we're thinking um, in a disruptive way. Um, and that's important. I think our clients need to think about, about this uh, disruptively as well. And we certainly uh, work with our clients to, to get to that point. So what do I mean by that? So, you know, typically the first thing that organizations need to work on uh, as they're thinking about this is their care management infrastructure and providing um, a better care management infrastructure as it relates to their inpatient activity and then building that for enterprise activity. So that's typically fundamental and I think that's something that um, that most organizations that have gone at any degree of risk you know, understand that is, 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 is truly fundamental. How do we risk stratify the patient population and then be able to provide care management services to that population? But beyond that, what we're really starting to see in a very significant way is that um, is that this this is more this is not just a care management activity it's a life management activity um, to quote some of the executives I've talked to most recently who are deep in this and uh, and and what they're uh, recognizing and what we're what we've built is a program around patient navigation which gets into the lay which deploys actually lay folks in the community that are trained and organized and supported by the health system um, and its ACO to actually help intervene with high-risk patients 
uh, around things that are problematic for them in seeking their medical care and optimizing their medical care. So one thing that we'd all recognize would be, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the one of the top areas of concern in this regard is transportation. Um, to the extent that the patient needs uh, to be transported uh, and doesn't have access to transportation, particularly with with high risk populations, that's often true. Uh, we have to we have to fill that need. Um, so that's fundamental. What we often find other other areas too. So for instance, we might have patients present with symptomatology that's uh, that's um, the most acute issue at hand, but we come to find when we really sit down with those patients that there are multiple underlying issues, including homeless, excuse me, homelessness, uh, other chronic diseases, et cetera, that are not well managed. And we have to think about taking, building a care, man, care, a care system that, uh, in, that, that deals with all of those socioeconomic issues as well as the clinical issues that we normally uh, face. So we'll engage the social workers, family members, of course. Uh, pharmacists and retail clinics are beginning to have major new roles, particularly in medication adherence. Uh, other forms of counselors um, integrating behavioral health into primary care as well as you know into the ACO paradigm is fundamental to success with uh, with a lot of these um, patient populations that we that we now are managing um, so you know having uh, a full continuum available to uh, to the most vulnerable is really where our clients are moving um, who are who have the greatest foresight on on this uh, opportunity and 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 recognizing how we reconfigure the health system to do that is really fundamentally what this is about. Yeah, this is one of the first models I, I've seen people talk about where you're bringing in some of the social determinants of health um, and figuring out how do you how do you get out there and start to deal with those which have such a profound impact on it, but typically had been outside the walls of a of a system or a clinic or a practice and they'd left them so they you know. We saw them. We provide their care. They went home, and what happened there was, you know, not our not our area of domain. You also talk in this model about the use of technology. Can you talk about some of that? Absolutely. So um, this is one of the areas that we spend a great deal of time with with our clients, and where Accenture is extremely deep. Um, we we recognize that there are multiple uh, areas. Um, one of the things that we we um, corporately talk about very openly as one of our uh, as one of we, the clear disruptive trends, not just in healthcare, but across the world, of course, is digitization and mobility. And, uh, and we recognize that, that everybody's got a cell phone uh, these days. And typically, uh, in, in all of our research that, and research that others have done, um, that's ubiquitous, right? So, so to the extent that, that everyone has uh, a multifunctional you know, cell phone that's a smartphone, how can we best use that? And, uh, and how can we connect with clients um, to uh, to enable that to happen? And also, how do we use mobility solutions to help our lay navigators communicate back to the health system as to what they're doing, so that they can receive their assignments and they can communicate back what they've learned with with um, and and communicate with physicians. So we've actually created mobile platforms for that type of communication to occur to connect. Uh, many of the folks who are uh, who are going out in the community. Uh, beyond that, we've also we are also connecting, very actively connecting uh, providers that are now, uh, you know, part of this system of care. Um, obviously, that involves physicians that are uh, on different EMRs, 
from the health system. It also involves other caregivers, um, nursing homes, uh, home care agencies, all the way along the line. And and so creating that that uh, that virtual that creating that platform such that we can create interoperability amongst all of those um, actors and and a longitudinal medical record is what we have worked with many organizations on. We we typically are the architects, if you will, that kind of put all that together. We're the general contractors. It's probably a better analogy. And then we have we work with many different vendors who are providing state of the art solutions to help bring that. Uh, interconnected community together. Are you beginning to use any of that interconnected data for predictive modeling or any sort of analytics? In our analytics group, we do. We have built uh, extensive uh, algorithms around um, around um, predicting. Uh, right now, we're working, for instance, with um, uh, with one of our clients, one of our larger clients, to uh, actually uh, build a proprietary algorithm for them for predictive, uh, for prediction around readmissions rates. So, uh, so by the time we're done with that, which is only got a, which is about another three months, we're going to be rolling out, and we're uh, a a, a uh, very well tested proprietary algorithm to help predict while patients are admitted, help predict which have the highest probability of readmissions. And that in, that takes into account socioeconomic variables as well as clinical variables, and so we are we are um, building those capabilities as well. But I will say that that once again, getting back to the general contractor um, analogy, um, we do recognize that there are lots of folks in, who are out there right now who are doing a great job at at moving the state of the art along in interoperability, in analytics, and predictive analytics in all of these areas so we are uh, we are very cognizant of who's playing what role um, in the uh, vendor community we're in deep uh, um, conversations with many of them and we bring the best uh, of the vendor community to bear on our clients as well and having seen these different models um, what ACOs have some have been successful many have not been able to yet achieve um, savings, et cetera. What do you see as the most important differentiators in your experience of those who have done well versus those who may be struggling a bit? I think there are multiple factors. And I, and frankly, I think that some of the research that is, uh, is ongoing on this subject will shed additional light over time. Um, I've seen some early research that uh, where, in fact, it's not clear what the distinguishing factors are between those who have made money in the ACO model and those who did not. Um, frankly, right now, what we're also looking at when we talk about that um, is uh, are, are those who are participants in the MSSP model or, in the, or pioneer participants. Um, and those are the ones that have reported results, right? But we, so we've, I, I know Elliot Fisher and others, uh, uh, ACO collaboratives and the Dartmouth uh, Collaborative have looked very hard at trying to distinguish what uh, makes the successors uh, from those who have not achieved success so far in terms of savings. And, and really, it's all over the map. Some have, uh, some are physician um, standalone um, ACOs, some are health system ACOs. Um, but it, what but what I've seen just from personal experience, and hopefully the research will will you know will um, will hone in on this. But um, from personal experience, I think that there's there's uh, to the extent that that individuals are um, leading this effort who have been doing this for a while, it stands to reason that they will have you know uh, 
much more uh, mature systems and much more mature talent to be able to step into this model. So those who have taken risk, large medical groups, uh, organizations like Montefiore in New York that have been uh, taking uh, risk for a considerable period of time for a population and uh, are, are uh, now growing those populations, those organizations are in a natural position. Um, other organizations I've seen do well, one of them was a, a prior client of mine, Wellstar Health System in Atlanta, uh, in the Atlanta region, and Wellstar uh, right out of the gate did extremely well and was able to generate about $19 million in savings on their population in the ACO model. And part of the reason they were able to do it is they hired in the right talent. Um, they went out to uh, to their local Kaiser affiliation and uh, hired a bunch of Kaiser executives, including a medical director who had been working in Kaiser and doing population health for a significant period of time. And so, you know, um, ha, ha, you know it, it stands to reason that getting um, folks engaged in this who have done it significantly who have the experience is going to be a differentiator and clearly that makes perfect sense in any in any world um, and then I would say too the other part of this that makes a big difference is the degree of, of physician engagement we're able to get and once again getting back to the physician leadership model that I mentioned previously um, that's an important differentiator as well well, fantastic. Once again, incredible amount of information and we've run up against the clock. So thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us today. We'll have to get you back on as well. And uh, with it's that, pleasure. oh, thank you. We'd love to do it. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Greg. Yeah, I, let me echo my sentiments as well, Jerry. Awesome. And I feel like we almost just scratched the surface. There's so much to talk about. And that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our special guest, Jerry Necklace, for his time and insights today. Do follow Accenture Health on Twitter via at Accenture Health and on the web at www.accenture.com. We do this weekly, yes, even in the dog days of summer at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Join us next week for our continuing deep dive into population health and ACOs. Until then, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Master saying bye now.